podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Raw, The Fight Within, a brand new podcast series hosted by me, Coogan Cassius. Over the course of the series, I'll be sitting down with some of the most high-profile figures from the world of boxing, including fighters, trainers and promoters, in order to dig a little deeper and understand their own personal stories. This podcast is about much more than simply what happens inside the ring. It's about the journey, the sacrifices, the agony, the ecstasy, the highs, the lows, the tears and the fears. It's about getting to know the person. Thank you for tuning in and I really hope you enjoy it. If you do, be sure to like, comment and subscribe. This podcast is suitable for over 18s only as it may contain adult content and explicit language. Hello and welcome to Raw the Fight Within podcast with myself, Coogan Cassius. It's bright and early this whatever morning. Um, I'm delighted to have the CEO of Matchroom Sport or Boxing? Boxing. I haven't quite made the... Uh, I haven't done enough yet to make sport. I just tell people you're the CEO of Matchroom Sport. To be fair, just keep telling them. Right. Sounds better than it. Sounds much better. Frank Smith, how are you? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Well, it is nice and early, isn't it? Yeah, you're, this is your call this time. I know, right? I know. And I woke up, I took one. I took a melatonin, and now I woke up, and you know when you're like, oh, I could have slept for another two days. But ready to go, Coog. So you're off your nut? <laughs> <laughs> off melatonin, yeah. Very natural. Um, your your story in, in, in boxing, and this is not specifically as podcast, is about boxing, but your story in boxing is quite unique in itself of kind of, you know, we've heard the stories of how you kind of pestered Eddie Hearn at some raffle or doing some raffle tickets and where you are now over that kind of, um, that period of time, which is obviously a testament to yourself. But you as a boxing fan, like when you were at that stage of your life, were you an actual boxing fan? No, I don't think I knew anything about boxing. I'll be completely honest with you. Even sport, I was... I support West Ham and that's about it. And I used to go to West Ham, had a season ticket there. But I was never really... It wasn't really about sport and being in boxing when I met Eddie back then. Because you've got to remember, the main focus for Eddie then was poker. You know, so... And I obviously didn't know anything about poker as well. I was 14 years old. Um, so it was more for me... I think at that age, you're impressionable just by money, basically. Not everyone, but a lot of people. And someone said he had a Bentley and I thought, do you know what? I want a Bentley too, so I'm going to go and work for him. So what were your actual first ever memories of boxing? Um, early days of being in places like Widney's Leisure Centre and uh, Goresbrook Leisure Centre, like, you know, some of the most beautiful... Dagenham, le- that is, Yeah, that? some of the most beautiful leisure centres all across the UK when I was probably 18, 19 years old. But when I started, it was like... we were. I worked on poker a lot. I worked on snooker, darts, like, just... Anything they could get me doing, I'd just go out and do. Um, but yeah, early days of boxing, I say it to the people, like the team who work with us now, like you do not realise how lucky you've got it. Because every week we're in New York, we're in London at the O2, next week we're in Saudi, you know, we're all over the place. Used to be Goresbrook Leisure Centre. And that is not a nice place on a Saturday or Friday night. And Ponds Forge. Ponds Forge, beautiful, right on the roundabout, lovely. Yeah. <laughs> it's Kelbrook fault there. Against Raphael Jackowitz. It was a good fight, to be fair. Yeah. Sold out as well. Me and Eddie looked at the card of that. <laughs> like, who was actually on that bill? There were some really random names on that bill. Um, I don't suppose you'd remember. I don't actually remember no. this conversation the other day. I actually don't remember who they were, so I'm not going to finger you into that. Um, 
So, just as a convention for someone who's involved quite heavily at the top level in boxing, there wasn't a boxer that you used to watch or... Because everyone I spoke to on this, they've got some sort of association where they were some sort of fan. But you're saying at that kind of age, you didn't really kind of watch like a Ricky Hatton or a, a whoever and just like be a fan of them. It was never like that for you. No, never. Not, not even like... Uh going back, not even saying like Mike Tyson's a hero or Lennox looked like there was no, it just wasn't really on my radar. I don't, I don't know why. I mean, it doesn't mean I'm not interested in it now, obviously, but you know, for me back then, it didn't even come into my head. Do you remember, so the first ever fight you went to, would it have been a fight that Matchroom were involved in? Yeah, you 100%. You definitely wouldn't have gone to a boxing no, fight Hundred percent, it would have been the first fight I worked on, which was probably like a pri one of the prize fighters. That was probably twelve, probably thirteen years ago, something like that. I remember that heavyweight one you did, Sprott or uh, Harrison, XL. Hold on, let me sure I remember. So it was the one with Ty Fields in it, the big American who was like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it your call, wasn't it? Was it your call? Yeah, they were great I prize think fighters. Sprott was in that. Yeah, I think so. Sprott did a couple, didn't he? Because then Audley did the XL one, yeah. where we sold like 6,000 tickets. Yeah, yeah. They were good. I love it. I miss Price Fight. I miss Price Might bring it back. Um, interesting one for you. If you hadn't got involved in boxing, what do you think you could have... Let's answer this in... You can answer this in two ways. What would you think you would be doing now? What, or what would you like to have thought you would have been doing now? Do you know what I always wanted to be? My dream when I was like 12, 13, 14 years old was to be a stockbroker. You know, Essex boy go and work up the city. And I think I would have done all right at it. Um, would have, might have made a few more quid being a stockbroker. But yeah, that was always the focus for me. I also wanted to be a professional footballer, but I realised I was useless by the age of nine. So it was never going to happen, was it? Um, I haven't quite got the body shape or the athleticism for it. Um, but yeah, getting into boxing, this has given me, like, or oh, Matchroom has given me so many opportunities. So I don't think there's anything I would have rather, rather have done now, looking back. Now, this next one, obviously I'll ask this question to fighters, but as a, as a kid, and it's, it's mad me calling you a kid because I kind of knew you when you was a kid, but was you like a bit aggy at school? Did you have fights and things like that? You don't come across like someone who would be physical, but you'd be someone that could have been verbally cheeky or... I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of guessing your, your personality as a child. But even though I technically kind of did know you at 17, 18, didn't I? So. Yeah, well, well you, got, you showed me some pictures last night. Yeah. I mean, the videos and pictures you got of me, going back to all those years. Actually, a bit weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> <God>. <laughs> I think... When I was at school, I wasn't like a boisterous, like, I was a bit, I didn't really love school, I, so I don't think I overly enjoyed it, and I'm, I'm very confident now, like, you see me, I'm very, like, loud and will talk to anyone. I don't think I was so much like that at school. I was probably a lot more quiet, and I actually couldn't wait for school to be finished, because I didn't like the idea of everything came down to a test and then you were judged on that, and I don't think that's what life's about is a single test and someone say whether you're good enough or not. Um, and yeah, I was, I was not like a, I was probably bullied actually. 
Maybe that that will go down well in the comments room. We're like, yeah, T boy bully, blah 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 blah. But probably a little bit, but not not in a bad one. Not in a way that I'd look back and go that affected me. Do you know what I mean? I was just quite quiet at school. Yeah, I was I was bullied at school. I went to a really small school, but I was bullied. But I wouldn't say it's affected me. But do you know when I see them people? Because some of them people still live in my town. Like part of me is thinking, you fucking like in my head. I'm not obviously because they're going to me smashing it with a boxing, isn't they? And I'm going, no, you mate now. You fucking made my life a hell in year four or whatever it was. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. This is probably because I maintain relationships with them, so I don't know. Like I'm dismissing the fact that. Well, you're bigger than that. You're obviously like. Yeah, I was, but yeah. I was I was actually proper bullied like at school. Like, really? Yeah, like proper bullied. Like where people would like wait at the bus stop for me and stuff no. like that kind of thing. I used to give people money just to be my mates, basically. Did you? Like my pound, a few pound coins just to buy, used to buy them lunch. Them? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm skint and paying everyone to be my mate. <laughs> um, you're talking, obviously I'm 10 years old now, but you're talking about like a period of just before or around the same time as when you kind of started this job as well. Yeah, no, it was. It was 14, I was 14 when I started working on the, like helping out, like filming work experience and then 16 full time. The difference is I, I left every, a bit like you said there, I left everyone I knew because I moved away for, for this job. So I don't really have any friends from back then or, or speak to anyone, which, you know, it's unfortunate, but you move on. I don't speak to anyone from school either. No. It's mad. I've got three mates. It's perfect. <laughs> um, all right. That'd be quite interesting because probably never asked you a question this this deep before. Mm. We've never but, gone this deep. No, but I know. But we've not even started yet. So. Oh really? <laughs> no, not quite. Um, tell me about a point in your life, and it doesn't need to relate to your job in boxing. But tell me a point in your life where you felt as though you were fighting a losing battle. Mm, fighting a losing battle. Never. Honestly. I know that might not be the answer that you want. No, I'm not, I'm not looking for an answer. To no, me, but to be honest. Like, I think I'm quite positive. You know, every day in my life I wake up positive and I've always been the same way. Like, I really must annoy my missus because I'm like, first thing in the morning, hey, let's go, you know. And I always just think control the controllables. And as long as you give it everything you do, you can, then that's perfect. You know, it's not always going to end up going your way. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think the key is that you've got to control what you can control. And too many people worry about things that are never going to happen or worry about things that they can't change. You know, and like, especially in this business, you get used to so many things going wrong that it sort of just goes... Right, let's let's do our best and and try and come up with solutions. Um, so you know, I've never had a moment like that. I don't think. So you're you're saying that you, you've kind of almost trained your mind to think like that, which then eliminates certain situations out of your life. Yeah, yeah. I'm lucky. Like I'm lucky in a lot of senses because mentally I'm quite like a strong person, and I I don't you know like depression, things that people will go through. I I find it hard because, like, and I say to my missus a lot, because I'm constantly positive and constantly happy. You know, like that's just the way I'm, I am. Do you force yourself to be like that, though? No. No, I literally am so happy. Like, li every day. Because I think I've had an absolute tut. Like, I'm just a normal fat kid from Romford and feel like I've had a tut and living a dream. And 
I can't, people worry about things ending or th finishing or things changing. It's like, just enjoy it. Like, cause what, if you don't enjoy it now, you're never going to enjoy it. Maybe I had a period of time where I wasn't a hundred percent like that, but it's never really been, my mindset's always been quite positive, you know, always. Why do you, why do you say that you said, I've had a touch? Because I get to do so many things that I never thought I would have experienced every day of my life. And I think we have to be appreciative. And people might think you're Brett like, but I work really hard, like literally give my life to, you know, to work. And I get a lot of benefits with it. And I say I've had a touch because there's a lot of people who work really hard, but don't get the benefits alongside it. So in, in that sense, I look at it and go, I've, I have it, and it's not, again, it's not bragging, it's just, you have to be appreciative because so many people do things and don't, and I say it to people when I meet them and go to nice things, I'm like, this is amazing, they're like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 this is, I never thought I'd do this. And whether that's going out to a restaurant or going to do, you know, whatever it is, nice things that you can look at and go, oh, I'm so glad I get to do this. Yeah, so I think like with, with Eddie in that interview with Simon Jordan, where Simon was making reference to inheriting uh, Barry's business, etc. But with yourself, like I said, you've not been born into uh, like that Matcham Hearn family. You've actually had that opportunity at a young age, but you've had to maintain, you grasp it first of all, but also maintain that over a considerable amount of time. So that's where I don't think you've had a touch. I think you've, you've made it. Your, I understand how, you, mm. in what context you said it in, but yeah, having a touch, I think, is I, I perceive that as a little bit different. Yeah, no, I think people don't see the the, the work that goes into it. Like I, for the last, I, don't, I couldn't tell you, ten, twelve, thirteen, maybe ten years, it's been serious, or eight years, actually, five years. Go back to five years. The last five years, I've not had a day where I haven't been dealing with stuff on my phone, and lots of people deal with that. But literally, boxing is relentless. Like, Sunday just gone, I was on the phone for 12 hours on a Sunday. And I was on holiday as well. And, my, like, again, Emily puts up with it. Like, amazing. Yeah, I can't, Emily loved that one. Oh, yeah, no, she, but she's... Used to it. Probably. Yeah, she's so used to it. But, like, so I've... I'm not lucky. Like, you're lucky to get an opportunity, I'd say. But beyond that, it's how do you take it? You know, I started with a load of people have all gone in different routes, some not there anymore, you know, and they haven't done what I've done because I've literally grafted every day. But I do still think it's important to say it is a touch because there's a lot of people who don't get the opportunity in the first place. And then there's a lot of people who work, maybe work as hard as me or harder, but will never do the things I do. Mm. So, you know, you have to be appreciative about it. For yourself, away from boxing, what are the everyday battles for Frank Smith? What I don't mean that in necessary, uh, like a negative term, but yeah. just away from boxing, what are your kind of challenges and, and everyday battles? Uh, probably the only thing I, I, I struggle with is not the ability not to see my family enough. Yeah. You know, that, that's, the only, that's the only negative in my life or, or thing in my life that I'd like to change. But the way I look at it is I'd rather do this now than when I'm 50 or 60 years old. I'd love to have kids, but I don't want to have kids and not see them five years nearly you know I want to I want to do the work now while I can and then get there and also my family understand that if I didn't do this I won't be happy so it's kind of you know it works itself out but yeah that that would be the only thing in my life where I think 
I'd like to be able to spend more time. But, you know, it is what it is. You make sacrifices. You make a lot of referencing in the previous question to how positive you are and kind of how happy you are in life. Would you call yourself an emotional person? Do you cry? You When's the last time you had to fight back any tears? Because we don't kind of see that side of you. Um, we don't see that side of a lot of people, but I'm just saying we sometimes get a gauge if someone could be that way inclined to be that emotional. I'm two different people. At work, there's no emotion. I'm very, like, make decisions that, you know, based on on logic. And I think you have to be like that. I'm emotional when it's in my personal life. You know, I'm emotional about family stuff. But I'm not, I'm still very positive. But I can be emotional, I can cry, you know. Ask Emily, I cry. I, I will cry a few times. But um, watch a sad movie, probably cry about that as well. But no, there's two different sides of me, which is, which is probably helpful because... With with work, you can just be, you can make the right calls without the emotion getting involved. I've kind of learnt, obviously, from a, a work side. Uh, I've never sat down with you and watched a movie and seen you cry. Do you want to do it tonight? We, we yeah. could do it tonight. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say something, but I won't. Um, but, f- like, for you, because we, like I said, don't see... I don't see that side of you, but what I've noticed over the years, I've noticed like just conversations, and some people have left Matcham over the years, because bear in mind, like, not that I've been at Matcham, well, according to some, I have since 2010. <laughs> the full-time employee, yeah, yeah. 2010, but I've seen kind of the staff come and go, and I've seen over the years that like more people, and I even probably don't want to hear this, but more people are like kind of, on edge and a bit frightened, not frightened, that's the wrong word to use, but a little bit wary of you more so sometimes than her. It's like, because I've heard it, I've heard little things, and it's not necessarily with people that here, like mm. who work for you now, I don't want to get them in trouble anyway, <laughs> but it's almost like, oh no, 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 Frank, no, you're going to have to speak to Frank about that, you're going to have to speak, and, I, and I'm trying to process it, going, oh, Frank, Frank used to like, run around like the luggage hall of the airport thing, like taking people's bags off and handing it to them. <laughs> Frank, you didn't really do that, but... I definitely did. <laughs> you definitely did, I've got a video of it as well. Um, but do you understand that, like, like to me, to kind of... But where I don't work for Matchroom, but I yeah, kind yeah. of see... But that's just, like, again, testament to kind of where you are at Matchroom mm. and also that kind of respect level from being like a young boy to being like a, a man and a CEO of a company. Yeah, I think it's always hard because I want to get on with everyone, but at the same time, there has to be a balance between the two. So I am quite serious when I need to be, but at the same time, I'll sit and have a laugh with everyone. But if you mess up or you know you do something which isn't right and you know it's not right, then I'll be. I'm I'm much more involved in the day to day as well than Eddie. And Eddie, you know. Eddie will come in to the office, have a laugh with everyone and then go and I have to deal with a lot of the real stuff that goes on. But I still like to think I'm, I'm soft enough. Some people think too soft, but I, I have a side where I can, you know, I don't let people get away with things. If they shouldn't, you know, yeah. you know what I mean? Fair's fair. Fair, yeah. Fair's fair. Um, so, it's not really a publicised like relationship. You're not like, doing reality shows and stuff. But it is an interesting kind of uh, dynamic that you have in your kind of long-term relationship you've had with uh, with Emily, obviously daughter of of Chris Eubank. I mean, 
I, I remember when I came to your, your place a few years ago and we did kind of a, <laughs> a little and skit. It, and they said, blink <coughs> twice if you need help. Yeah, uh, I think everybody quite actually liked some of them comments on that, uh, or not. But um, yeah, how is that for you kind of involving um, your relationship, obviously, with someone who's not kind of inboxing in any kind of capacity to what you are, but also has kind of the whole, like the relevance through, I'm not saying that's why he was a bottle. That's, <laughs> that's right. But the whole thing through being Chris, Chris Eubanks' daughter. Yeah, I think where it helps is because she understands the business and she, like, like I say, when I'm on the phone for 11 hours on a Sunday while we're on holiday somewhere, she's like, oh, here's what it is. And she's been like that the whole way throughout. Um, don't get me wrong, I'm sure there's times where it's like, do you know what, this guy, he, he pays no attention to anything other than his phone. But um, that that's helpful. She actually loves boxing. Like she prefer, She's a bigger boxing fan than I am. Like she watches shows. Like when I'm away or in America and she's not there, she'll wake up and watch the shows. Yeah. Um, and it's good, it's good because otherwise someone just wouldn't understand it. You know, I always say, like, I don't think I could go out with anyone. Like, if they didn't understand it, they'd be like, what, what is going on with this geezer? He's away 40 weekends a year, and he's on his phone literally every second of every day when he is home, or on his laptop. So she, she's, she's great at understanding it. Um, and, you know, I think without her, I actually said this the other day, without her, I wouldn't have done as well. Because you know her very well. She's... Lovely, like lovely, amazing person. I love her to bits, but she's very tough, like hard. And that hard side, like she, nothing impresses, not nothing impresses her, but she, she's very firm. And I could go back and go, I've done this today. She's like, yeah, all right. And actually, that's what you need. You need someone who's not going to blow smoke up your ass because then your head and ego will get out of control. She keeps me very flat line. So things are good, things are good, things are bad. Things about, and it's all very stays on this level, and that's what you need, yeah. because otherwise your head would explode. I remember before I got with Emily, probably 24, or around the sort of time I got with Emily, I was probably a bit arrogant. Like we'd done Joshua Klitschko at Wembley, I was like, yeah, I did that show. And actually, I'm less, I have no ego now at all, whatsoever, because it's like, yeah, well, yeah, great, on to the next one, you know, just go on to the next one. So. She, I wouldn't have done as well in business without Emily. That's a hundred percent for sure. Yeah, I mean, listen. Obviously, you you have been with like in a relationship with Emily over uh, several years. How long have you guys been together? Like seven. We can pretend we filmed this a couple of years ago. I forget <laughs> it. Uh, seven years. Seven, seven years. years. But I always find with Emily, like you know, you're like whenever I see Emily, the initial thing. I'm thinking, right, what's she going to say? She's going to say something about my hair or my shoes. She's going to say something. I always think that straight away. But then after about three or four minutes, you're sitting there with Emily, it's like it's like that. It's like a, a little wall there. Once that wall comes down, you're good. she's good as gold. She'll be asking me about everything. She'll yeah. be asking me like relationships, what I've been doing, blah, blah, and she'll whatever. But the initial thing always with Emily, if you're listening, just a little FYI, I'm always thinking she's going she's gonna to say something. Yeah, she's going to... That's not just you, by the way. That's me every day. <laughs> every day I'm like, oh, what should you say today? Like, oh, we've got to be, got to be careful today. But she, no, she, she's, a, she's 
brilliant. Like a lot of people, like you know her very well. Oh, she's a funny fucker. Yeah, like, I'll be honest with you. We won't and mention straight. that night in Liverpool. Yeah, <laughs> but straight as well. Yeah. And like won't lie to you. Like we'll just be straight to the point to anyone, yeah. which I love about it. And but sometimes some people obviously would find that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I find it, I find, found it hard. I'm only just coming around to it. Yeah. Like, I remember she, because she, she once went to me, she went, where was we? We was in uh, Saudi, I think, coming. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was there when I was there. And I got my hair cut in Saudi. I was desperate, right? And so I went to some like back backstreet barbershop who like <laughs> done whatever. And I remember the first Do time. Do that I, one, no? Yeah, yeah same, <laughs> same person. She, and she went, she went, who the fuck cut your hair like that? But she just said it to me. And I was like... Yeah, cheers. I was like, because it, it was a little bit whatever, but that's what I mean. It's just that that bluntness, which yeah, we could learn to appreciate. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I think more people need it, a Do bit blunt. Yeah, I think don't get me wrong. There's a place for everyone to be a bit different, but I think more people need some bluntness in life. All right. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure I agree with you on that. Um, so, who's got your back, Frank? Like, obviously. You know, you haven't got kids yet, but you're very family orientated. You're very work orientated. Obviously, you spoke about your relationship there with Emily, but who's actually got your back? Who's behind you? Like, I'm not specifically talking about boxing, I'm talking about in life. Mm, I think Emily is, <coughs> excuse me, um, for sure. My family, as you say. Look, uh, one thing is, Eddie, I've been with for 16, 17 years now spent more time with him and he's probably spent more time with me than anyone else in life you know and it's <clears throat> we've got a very close close relationship and you know it's I'm always there anything he needs you know like there's implicit trust between the two of us because I've grown up with him he's like an older brother so I think you know my relationship with him is very close um, and you know I've always got my back as well I'm always there to be honest tapping on the back that was a Hearn comment because yeah. when I asked him that question he said me as in himself yeah. so that's the only person you can rely on and I think a little bit of that answer at the end there kind of as maybe I watched his and copied it maybe yeah. maybe you're like a, we're, I'm a clone I'm like a younger clone of him <laughs> um, alright let me reword this next question um, you're around boxing a lot uh, boxers a lot and have been for quite some time do you believe that uh, or how prominent do you think depression is amongst boxers? Yeah, I think very prevalent. You know, especially re when boxers retire as well, because it's a lonely sport, you know. And, and when you've given your life to something and you've trained your whole career every day in, day out, and then it's like, it's gone, for sure, 100%. And even in present day fight, you know, uh, in, in fighters who are active today, you know, there's definitely, it's definitely there as well. And that's why we have to support boxers as much as possible, especially beyond their career and after their career. You know, we, we love to work with as many of our, you know, retired fighters as we can and keep them involved because they need to keep involvement in the sport because it's what they love and that's what they've done for years. Um, and that's why you see a lot of retired fighters either going to training, managing, you know, broadcast side of things. But... Yeah, look, I think it's very prevalent and we've got to do as much as possible to, you know, to help alleviate that issue. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a situation that because of, it could be anything, uh, 
a lot to do with it, it's to do with pride and ego as well, and that whole kind of perception of of men not looking to or perceiving perceiving to look weak, um, and you get not the odd person, but high profile people like Tyson Fury, which you know, or Leon McKenzie, these guys have openly spoken about their battles to try and encourage not just boxers, but just people in men in general to do that. But um, I think you make some good points about kind of when it's not there anymore, it's like almost like, fuck, like, what am I going to do? If you're fortunate enough to slip into like a trainer, trainer's role, which is very few, a punditry role, that's like a few people. Mm. And then imagine how many retired boxers out there you could list that, you know, probably people that have been on the matching shows, like, what are they doing now, like, if they're not kind of involved in the sport? Yeah, 100%. And it's also difficult because there's so many fighters, I was talking about this the other day, in football, like a young kid goes into football, he's playing in an academy and he's on five, six grand a week, as an example. You know, boxing's a hard, hard sport. 90%, 95% maybe is the number I'd say, won't ever make enough money yeah. to, to just live off of boxing. So it's higher than that, probably. Probably, yeah. yeah. And it's if it's what you've given your life to and you, you love, and it's sort of you can't actually give it 100%. That's why so many of these fighters have got jobs on the, you know, on the side as well because in boxing you can't just go and give up your career because there's not enough money in it mm. for, for a majority of these fighters. You know, if you're fighting on, uh, on ticket deals, on small hall shows, which you, know, you have to respect like the, the job small hall promoters do because it's not an easy job you know, running events, running, running promotions. Um, and... You know that makes it even tougher as well because there's so many fighters whose it's their dream, and will never actually make enough or get to the point they need to to you know to say they sort of to where they wanted to get to, and they might have 10, 15 fights, 20 fights, mm. and that must be very tough as well. So you know, like I say, we have to do as much as possible uh, as we can, um, and you know I think people speaking out about it is important. Like I say, for me it's tough because I've never had. A moment in my mind where I really feel negative. If you get like, don't get me wrong, everyone has moments where they go, oh, another day. But I've never had a moment where I've gone, oh, I'm really not happy. Because literally every day, and, and that's hard for people to like to understand. And it's probably hard for me then to understand on the other hand, you know. No, just, just to follow up from what you're saying there about kind of that mindset that you put yourself into, when you come across a situation like, the Conor Ben situation, the, the the Dillian White AJ situation for yourself. We kind of we listen to to Eddie um, and say that his mindset, and I'm assuming that this is going to kind of be a similar answer to what you would say to this, is about getting that problem solved, not thinking maybe having the initial fuck, what's happened here, and then literally a quick process about it, and then right, let's get on with it and move on, and let's get the problem solved. And I'm assuming you have that same kind of mindset for, for life, let alone just problems like that. Yeah, I think for us now, we've been through so many tough moments in the sport that as soon as you hear bad news, you go, oh, and it just goes over your head and you go, right, let's just, like you say, figure out a solution. Mm. And that's because you, you waste so much time thinking about the negatives rather than going, all right, let's, we've got to deal with it. And like I say, you can only, you can only control what you can control. A lot of things are out of out of your power, and you know will be what they are. And if you from there, you can't waste too much time going, oh, what about it? What about it? Just just get on with it. 
because you're wasting energy on something you can't change. Mm. Um, Do you so, adopt this attitude in life though as well? No, again, that's where, like I say, my personal life, I'm a very different person. I can be emotional. You know, I don't let things go all the time. But business, it's completely different. Mm. It's like, right, yeah, that's done, on to the next one. And like I say, don't get too excited about things and don't get too, don't get down about things. You know, it's just that sort of flat line. And it, because the good times come and you've got to enjoy them while they're there, but don't sort of, you have to go, right, that's done that. Like, that's a memory in a box and move on because there's a bad time going to come. And if you keep it like here, I tend to find that you, you, you've got a better way of managing things and, and controlling your emotions. Yeah, we were talking the other day about that whole kind of early days of your, your interviewing. And I think some of the videos you were in the background of some of them as in you'd come in and out, not mm. necessarily the focus was on you. And then over the years, I just I remember looking yesterday at the, the press conference and I, I saw like eight people waiting to to interview you, like in a queue. And I just, I didn't really see that for Eddie, do you know what I mean? Mm. Where there's like a queue of people to interview. Um, but yeah. It's funny because... The problem is with this kind of stuff is you only get better at it the more you do. And well, but, cocky with it as well. Yeah, no, but no, I was talking about it earlier. I was joking. But, yeah, but like all of the shit is there forever. So all of the times I've done into like or press conferences, and it's like I have to watch that back and go. Imagine what people are thinking. Imagine what I'm thinking. But the only way you get better at it is by doing it. And but it's there for life. And what used to get me is I used to do interviews or things and I used to w watch them back and go, why would you say that? Why, why on earth would you say that? But, you know, and you, I used to go up there and think, right, I'm going to say X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z, get up there. I would say nothing, none of it. Like we did the Luke Campbell, Jorge Linares press conference and I went, the thing is about this one, Luke Campbell lives in the UK but trained in America and Jorge Linares lives in America but trained in the UK. Well, what is interesting about that, <laughs> you know? But, yeah, you just, I think you become more comfortable over time and, and also more comfortable in yourself as well and also knowing what you're talking about because when you're 23, 24, 25, you don't really know much. You think you do, but you don't. Do you remember this video? Where are you? This wasn't that long, it was about seven years ago. No, no, in the office, yeah. But that's what. That's where the probably arrogant years. Like, well, what year was that? Frank, that had 108,000 views, and do you know what? Eddie's not in the clip either. That was big time, wasn't it? But 108,000 views? When was this? Seven years ago. Yeah. Actually, so, not that far, 18th of August, 2016. So I was 24 years old, right? Sorry, let me turn it off. I was 24 years old. And that's like around the time where I probably thought I was a bit of the boy, like then. And I look back now and go, oh, you idiot. But, but you learn, don't you, over time. And like I say, now I'm, there is no ego. But I definitely had an ego there. Thought I was the man. Wait, 108,000 views? I know, look, I was, I was going around. I had, you, I had screenshots of the views. Paul Reedy. Paul Reedy Winkle. and Lever. Lever. Fucking hell. 
Yeah. Always, always done big numbers for done, IFL. We have. Yeah, I was just going <laughs> to say. <laughs> you get any revenue out there? Yeah, I'll, I'll have a little check and see if people are still watching it. Um, right, last one, Frank. Just answer how you perceive the question as. What drives that fight within you? What are the factors that drive that when you wake up in the morning? Drives those factors? I think drive for me is my own, in my own mind. A lot of people want to be better than someone or competitive with, with someone else and, and need that drive. For me, it's all about knowing that I gave it 100%. So it's not, I'm not a crazy one of these, you must win. Because you're not going to win everything. And I'm around, surrounded by a load of people who have got that mentality. If you've got to win, you've got to win, you've got to come first, right? Of course, we would all like to win things, but reality in life is there's always going to be someone better than you at something, you know, whether that's playing golf, driving a car, uh, putting on boxing shows, maybe not. Maybe we win that one every time. Um, but for me, it's my own internal mindset of just make sure you give it 100%. That's all it ever comes down to. And I'm the only one who can judge me because I'm the only one who knows what I've put in, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And too many people want to be, want this person to tell them well done or want this person to say you did really well there. For me, it's just I, no one knows what I, the work I put in. And I'm the only person who can sit back and go, could I have done more there? Yeah, probably. And I don't ever want to be in a position where I can say, could I have done more there? And that's when like, I look at like hard work now. I don't want in years to come, like five, six years to come, right, be sitting at home and go, do you know what, I could have done better or I could have tried harder there. And I, I just want people in years to come to go, do you know what, it was very good. That's all it is. And for me, it's it's about uh, one person's version of success isn't another's. So, you know, we, we live in a world where everyone's everyone's looking at the next person. It's just for me, is am I happy with what I'm doing? That's what I, That's how I'd answer that question. It's probably the most, uh, yeah, probably the best, the most complex answer to that question. Thanks, mate. Uh, Better than it. Yeah, 100%. One thing, so I'll beat him at one thing. One thing, the yeah. last question. Well, it's definitely longer than his, his answer to that. Um, okay, Frank Smith, thank you very much for coming on to Raw the Fight Within podcast. Um, we're not going to mention anything that's happening today or this weekend because this is going out next week. Perfect. So let's just hope we've had a good weekend, if that yeah. makes sense. Otherwise, we'll have to film it again. <laughs> Frank Smith, thank you very much. Guys, thank you for listening. We will see you um, very soon for the next episode of Raw The Fight Within. Um, stay tuned. Make sure you comment, like and subscribe. We're out. Sports Social Podcast Network.